The heartbeat of a healthy church concludes today, and uh, I was super encouraged because I received a lot of positive and encouraging feedback over the last nine sermons or eight sermons, and uh, it's been neat to see. And so what happens after this is, after service, uh, the survey that we took ahead of time before the sermon series will be published again in your apps and through the website, and and what we're going to do is compare for partially to help the church, but also to help uh, with my uh, doctoral project, to compare how the Titus series helped inform our church, particularly about eldership. And all that information will be used uh, to help the church and the church leadership move at a good pace, uh, depending on how things come back. So this is a helpful thing. So it, th- this uh, survey will close November 16th. Not this Thursday, but the following Thursday. And uh, I'd like to give some of the results at our congregational meeting on November 19th. And if you're not a member, please come anyway. This will be a good opportunity for you to understand what it means to be a member and to hear some extra uh, updates on how our church family is doing. So please take the survey after the service if you're able to. Now for the sermon. For Evergreen Baptist Church to exist as a healthy church 20 years from now, we need to develop a sense of healthy discernment. We need to understand how to discern well if we want to be around in a healthy condition 20 years from now. We're talking generations. We're talking beyond us. And this is really our hope as elders and future elders, is that Evergreen Baptist Church will be healthy and strong for years and generations to come until the Lord returns. That's our hope. And the times that we live in, it's the information age. There's various ideologies, ideas rampant everywhere, whether you're at work, at school, the internet. And the secular ideas are always trying to creep into the church to corrupt the church. This has been there since the beginning, 2,000 years ago, since the birth of the church. Secular, non-biblical ideas have been trying to creep in to the church. And Satan will also use sin within the church to corrupt the church. That's why we have things such as the Lord's Supper, communion, to discern our own hearts, the condition of our own hearts, every month for us at Evergreen Baptist Church. That's why the Lord calls us to observe communion. So that we could discern ourselves and ease it, uh, on a formal basis. We should be doing this daily, but corporately we're able to do this together. And Jesus loves Evergreen Baptist Church. I'm absolutely convinced of this. The Lord loves, loves his church here through various circumstances. I've seen this. The people that are here, I've seen this, but the word of God says this. And therefore, in Titus 1.5, Jesus commands the church to set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city, but in every church here. So he, the Lord provides elders to care for his church. The church fathers are the elders. These are church fathers who are the, basically the authorized soul care providers of the church. You know, we should be providing soul care for one another, certainly. But we need authorized soul care providers to care for the church, to minister God's word, to provide the heartbeat for Evergreen Baptist Church so that we have a healthy 
healthy level of discernment for the, for, to care for one another. In a lot of ways, as I've been reading the book of Titus for, for a while now, I've come to see myself in a flawed and much more frail version of a modern version of Titus. All the things that Paul commands Titus to do, I see myself and find myself involved in all these things, particularly installing elders, but other things. It's been amazing as this Paul's been fathering me through the book of Titus. Obviously, this is written to Titus, but 2,000 years later, I see him just speaking to me, and hopefully he's speaking to you. So this book has been a really uh, particular encouragement for me. So today we're going to wrap up the series. So if you have your Bibles, please please turn to Titus chapter 3, 8 through 15 is what we'll be covering. And Paul's going to teach us through Titus how to be a discerning church. So let's rise if you're able to. If you have your phones, turn to Titus chapter 3, 8 through 15. I'll be reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible. God's word says out of Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying and concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be intent to lead in good works. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and conflicts about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And our people must also learn to lead in good works, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would guard my heart from sin and temptation. Allow me to preach your word faithfully. I pray, Lord, for the same for the congregation, that you guard our hearts from sin and you help us to hear what you're saying so that we would know how much you love us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The issue is discernment, and the issue, the fruit of discernment helps produce generational health. And so I'm going to frame up the three points uh, by having a phrase that I want us to understand why we're talking about this. And the phrase goes like this, to be generationally healthy, generationally healthy, Evergreen Baptist Church must discern either to affirm or avoid. And there's going to be three topics that we talk about. So the first topic is going to be the word spoken. So to be generationally healthy, Evergreen Baptist Church must either discern to affirm, accept, or avoid, reject the word spoken. Let me read verse 8-9 again. This is a trustworthy saying, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and conflicts about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul gives a comparison and a contrast. Okay, speak confidently, trustworthy sayings, avoid or or reject uh, foolish controversies. 
So what are these things that Paul is to affirm? In verse 8, it says, affirm trustworthy sayings, trustworthy words. What, and, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. What, is, or, or, what does these things mean? Well, in context, anytime you study the Bible, you look at the near context. Location, location, location. So all I have to do is back up a few verses to see that Paul is talking about the gospel from verse 3 to 7, Paul's talking about how we were lost in our sin. And because God loved the world, God sent his son and sent the spirit to save sinners like you and me. So these trustworthy sayings is, is the gospel. First Timothy 1.15, brother Tim Wong read out of First Timothy. It is a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if you're a visitor, what is the essence of Christianity? This is a one-line statement that Christ Jesus, God himself, came to save sinners. This is what this is all about. We're all sinners in the church saved by grace, meaning we did, we, we did, not, we did nothing to earn it, and it, God gave us as a gift to save us through Christ. I have an assignment for the church just to kind of train us to be better listeners, so to speak, during sermons. Every evergreen pastor who gets to preach, or we may have some guest preachers who may deviate a little bit, but for every evergreen pastor, our intent is to explain the gospel to some levels. So it's kind of like where's Waldo, so to speak. You know, like anytime you sit here under an evergreen preacher, I want to, you guys, young and old, Children, just try to understand where did the pastor explain the gospel, right? Where Christ comes to die to save sinners. And by believing in Christ, you will be forgiven of your sins and be treated as a family member of God, right? This is the gospel. We've done nothing on our own to deserve this. It is a free gift received through faith in Jesus Christ. So just remember that. We may try to explain the gospel. We may try to give you implications of the gospel. Maybe a certain facet of the gospel we'll highlight. But just train yourselves to hear if the gospel is being preached. Because Paul says, speak confidently about these things. We have a conviction to make sure the gospel is central. So that's what we're to do. Affirm trustworthy words, particularly the gospel. But on the other hand, on the, on the other side of the coin... Verse 9 says, but avoid foolish controversies. What, is, what, are, what are foolish controversies? Basically, moros controversies. This is where we get the word for moronic. Meaningless debates, pointless controversies. Paul says to avoid these things. Turn and run from these things. Do not spend time, do not waste energy entertaining these things. Moronic, meaningless debates which are pointless. Genealogies. This is not talking about studying Old Testament uh, family lines or New Testament uh, lineage of Jesus Christ. This is not talking about that. But in this day, evidently, people would begin to allegorize these genealogies and come up with all kinds of myths and fanciful uh, meanings. Which were confusing. Paul goes on to say, reject strife. This is really the heart of it, guys. What is strife talking about? This is talking about fleshly rivalries. This is about prideful com uh, competitions or comp uh, arguments. 
This is all about the flesh. This is about who's right and who's wrong. That's the heart of driving these foolish controversies and these long discussions on genealogies. And then conflicts about the law. Avoid these things. This is an example of true corruption of the gospel. These conflicts about the law were about the Judaizers who were corrupting the gospel, saying, believe in Christ, plus maintain the Jewish laws to be saved. We see that all the time, sadly, today, where trust in Christ is a Jesus plus gospel, where Christ alone saves through grace alone and by faith alone. We don't need anything else. And so these are the things that Paul is saying to avoid foolish sayings. Affirm the gospel, affirm trustworthy sayings, avoid foolish controversies, strife, genealogies, and false gospels. And what are foolish words about? They're like rabbit trails. I'm going to explain this a little bit more. They're like speculations and myths, claims that cannot be established through the Bible. All right, these are things of maybe who is the Antichrist, things like guesses like that, man's predictions of the end times in terms of all the events. We may guess, but let's not make that such a strong point of contention. We don't know this. We don't know these things. And other things that cannot be proved through the Bible, shown through the Bible. I mean, these, are, these could even be human philosoph- philosophical debates. that You just go round and round and round. All it does is create strife. Could be theology based on human reason. No, no strong biblical data to back up our points here. So if it's not in the Bible, God intended it for it to be that way. So let's not major in these things. In some ways, let's not even minor in these things. There's so much data here, so much revelation. Let's focus in on what we know to be true, particularly the gospel. And, uh, and as strife will talk about, this is really not about truth. It's about the teller. It's about the teller. It's, it's about winning the argument. It's about being right. And so the, even the heart of it is not right. So these things, what they do is promote pride. These things create division in the local church. And what are the effects? Verse 9 goes on to say that they are unprofitable and worthless. These foolish controversies are unprofitable and worthless. These foolish words out of Titus 1.14 turn people away from the truth. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.14 says, These foolish words are useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. It corrupts people. It does not help people to love Christ more. Now, on the other side of the coin, what are we to affirm, right? What are we to affirm? What are we to embrace? Trustworthy words. Biblical truth should be clear. You should be able to point chapter and verse and be able to explain it out of the scriptures why we feel so strongly about what we say we believe in. And this is not about avoiding theological precision. I get it. There are some higher levels of theology where we want to mine. This is not saying let's just keep theology at a bland level and not ascend to more precision. This is not what it's talking about. As long as you can show it out of the scriptures, we need to embrace these things, affirm these things, right? And so we want to be theologically precise. We want to have arguments or points that could be explained through the, through the biblical text. This is what we want to do. And if it's in the Bible, that means God intended it for us to, for us to study and to teach. This is how we grow. This is what it means when we sing, turn your eyes to Jesus. 
In a general sense, okay, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but the more texture, the more colors, the more shades of who Christ is is clear in our minds, we could turn to him a lot more clearer. So when we turn our eyes to Jesus, we're really turning our eyes to the revealed word, what the Bible says about him. So we want to be precise, because the more clear we are about Christ, we could discern better. We could spot out error even more. And in verse 8, it says this, uh, these things are... These things are good and profitable for men. First Timothy 1.5, there's a lot of parallels between Timothy and Titus. Timothy is written, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, but the goal of our command or instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and an unhypocritical faith. So how are these things profitable, these trustworthy words? Does it promote love for God and for man? Do you see yourself growing for uh, in your love towards Christ and for the church particularly? That's how it's helpful. Number two, does it promote a good conscience in you? Do you feel more at peace with everything going on, with your own thought life, with your own world? A good conscience. And number three, it promotes an unhypocritical faith or a genuine faith, which leads to good works, as Paul says in, uh, in Titus here. See, salvation and good works go hand in hand. You should not be able to say, I love Jesus, but I hate this person. Now, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. It's an oxymoron. You can't say, I believe in Christ, but I don't participate in gospel work. That does not compute. doesn't add up. These are not uh, logical uh, conclusions. If you love Christ, not that it's always easy, you love others. You love others. So how do we apply this? How do we affirm or avoid words spoken? There's so many sermons and teachings that we hear online, at the bookstore, people that we talk to. I mean, we need to be discerning before we spend and invest time listening to teachers, right? That's number one. Let's not just just accept everything as truth. But I would say the bigger issue might be this. Paul says that issues come arising from amongst the church. So as we talk to one another about God and about the Bible, as we attempt to apply truth with one another and help each other understand the Bible more, I think as a good friend, we should be always discerning. Do I affirm what you're saying? Or do I say, hey, do I warn you and say, nah, I don't think that's right. This is how we care for one another, right? And the one way, certainly through the pulpit, we want to make it clear. This is like a whole family gathering once a week. But interpersonally, this is how we care for each other. It makes a lot of sense to me. Here's a question that I've been addressed or asked kind of recently, maybe because of recent sermons, but why is homosexuality a central issue? Why, why, why is that such a big deal? Why is that worth dividing over? And I, I'm, I'm thinking we all know this, but I just want to make sure that we're clear as a church. It's because the gospel is at stake. The gospel is at stake. Because repenting of sin is a part of turning to Christ, turning to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think to myself, imagine the shock when some people wake after death and they appear into eternity when they realize they were told wrong all this time. That God was actually not good with that part of their lives. That's the issue. Because it corrupts the gospel. 
It corrupts a trustworthy saying that Paul's talking about here. That's just an example of discernment, why we need to be able to understand for ourselves why it's a big deal and why we love others, but yet we need to be clear of why there's an issue. And maybe be able to winsomely explain it to somebody in a way that they may not even agree, but they at least, okay, I can see why you feel that way. Elder candidates, let's apply this to elder candidates. Elder candidates must be discerning must have enough biblical knowledge to be able to preach and teach soundly, to counsel, biblical counsel, in, in a sound manner, but also to be able to discern what is, how to affirm or avoid certain teachings. And this is critical. This is critical. This is more than one man can do. And I, ha- I certainly am surrounded by great help, pastors and other leaders but we need a group of church fathers to do this into the future. This is another reason why we need elders in a very practical way. Let's go to point number two. To be generationally healthy, Evergreen Baptist Church must discern either to affirm or avoid not just only the word spoken, but the worker, the actual worker, the people, the leaders. Look what it says in verse 10. Another contrast and comparison. Verse 10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Verse 12 goes on to say, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me in Nicopolis. Come to, Paul, come to me and trust these men to take care of the churches in Crete. Another compare and contrast. Reject and receive. Alright, so how do I know how to affirm or to avoid certain leaders, certain workers. This word factious means, uh, in the original Greek language, is heretikos, where we get the word for heretic. And this word heretic came much later, so many scholars believe that factious man is more of an accurate translation. This is a divisive member in the church. This could be a false teacher who's spreading lies, in their teaching, or it could be someone who's insubordinate, someone who sows discord through slander, it could be that type of person as well. So, but Paul says, after a first and second warning, reject them. What is Paul talking about here? Paul's talking about excommunication. Paul's talking about eject them, reject them, avoid them out of the church. And this is, uh, this teaching is found most detailed in Matthew 18. Our Lord teaches this out of Matthew 18, 15 to 17. And it's a three-phase process. Or if somebody's in sin, the Bible says, hey, go to your brother or sister, win them over. Go to them privately. Talk to them. Appeal to them to turn back. Pray for them, right? And give it a series of time. And if, you, if he or she repents, praise God, you want over your brother, move on with life. And that's a series of time, right? I mean, who knows? Weeks, months, I don't long period of time. And then if they don't respond and you realize, man, I need some more help. I need to call in more reinforcements. Phase two is bring two or three with you to talk to them about the same issue that they realize and they've seen. Similar. If they repent, it's over. Move on. That happens for a series of time. And if it doesn't help, it escalates to phase three, which is tell it to the church, where the entire church is asked to help call this man or woman back into right fellowship with God in the church. 
This is a serious process. And if, and even at that, they don't repent. Stage four says, cast them out of the church. Treat them as a non-believer. Don't treat them as a fellow brother in the church anymore. Jonathan Lehman of Nine Marks says, what describes what type of issues we should take to this level. Jonathan, because we're all sinners, right? All of us fail to, uh, to live up to the perfect standard of God. Jonathan Lehman says these sins should be outward, meaning it's noticeable. It should be serious, and it should be unrepentant. Right? So this is what Jonathan Lehman is talking about. And I want to make this clear. Church discipline is only for members. If you're an attendee and you've been coming faithfully every week for years and years, you're not a member, we're not going to church discipline you at that level. Hopefully people are church disciplining us at a private, interpersonal level. That's a part of church discipline. But phase three, tell it to the church and excommunication. There's nothing for us to kick you out from because you're actually not part of the church as a member, right? And so this is for people who have agreed, I want this soul care, I need this help. This is what this is about. And it was so encouraging as we've been doing some of our membership candidate interviews. One of the sisters I was interviewing said this, it's so comforting to see that our church takes holiness seriously. Isn't that amazing? She goes, this is what I want. I want to take my faith seriously with a group of people who take their faith seriously. So it's exciting, and as, as Pastor Mako talked about, in a couple of weekends, a couple of Lord's Days, we'll be, God willing, be able to vote in several candidates. And it's, it's been an amazing time. And it's neat to see how membership is becoming more meaningful in terms of discipleship. It's, it's wonderful. Now, I want to ask this question. You may be wondering this. Why is excommunication necessary? Right? You may want to, what? Isn't that kind of a bit harsh? Well, verse 11, let's turn our eyes to verse 11 here. This factious man, knowing that after, uh, reject a factious man, verse 10, after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. This is the condition of the factious man. This is the man who you cannot reason with. He, he does, he's deaf to sound words. And, and, and his own actions are condemning him. Donald Guthrie in his uh, commentary on Titus writes, if this action, however, should seem rather harsh, Titus must recognize that the stubbornness of the man is evidence of a perverted mind. And he's talking about in relation to this divisiveness, being a factious man. It is useless to contend with men of twisted minds. And there is no need to condemn them, for they are self-condemned. I mean, they're blinded by their own sin. I mean, at some point, it doesn't help. We talked about this a little bit in our biblical counseling class, right? Somebody asked this in our biblical counseling class, and at some point you speak the truth in love, you pray for them, but there's no response. And so what is the goal of uh, church discipline or church restoration? Goal number one is restoration. First Timothy 1, as Brother Tim read, fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, excommunicated, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme, so that they will be healthier, they'll, be, they'll learn a lesson. 
Titus 1.13 says, rebuke them severely so that it will be sound in the faith. There's a restoration hope here. This is not just a punitive thing. We want members who are sinning and, and factious workers who are sinning to be restored. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15 says this, And if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, take, take special note of that person to not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. There is a sanctifying effect when someone is put out of the church. And yet do not regard him as an enemy. You see this? But admonish him as a brother. We need to do this in love because we care about the brotherhood. We care about the holiness of the church. Now, I've asked this to some people throughout our church, and I want to present this to our church because I want you to understand the process of kind of how do you go about evaluating certain things. Why is there only two warnings in Titus? I thought Jesus said three warnings, and then you kick him out. Why is there only two? Right? That's, that's something that I've been studying for the last couple of years as I've been studying Titus and on eldership. I think context helps. Context. So in what context is Paul writing to Titus here? Titus is tasked to appoint elders. That means these are pre-existing churches with pre-existing leaders. Similar to me, when I first came to Evergreen Baptist Church in 2017, I'm evaluating who are our current leaders. That's what you want to do. You want to evaluate who has influence, who is uh, serving, who, is, who could be potential future elders someday. And I imagine this, that Titus was doing exactly the same thing, which he should have. I mean, we're talking about pre-existing elders, pre-existing pastors, leaders. These are the people that Titus should be thinking about. So why is it only two warnings? I think it's because leaders have more potential damage to Carl's division. Whereas Matthew 18 is a sinning brother or sister. They're wounded. They need help. And they're kind of hopefully self-contained in some ways. But an elder or pastor of a church has a voice who could cause incredible damage to the church. I mean, there's an illustration which I heard in ancient naval battles, when a ship is damaged, what they would do is they set the ship on fire and send it to the other fleet to cause damage. When leaders who lose their role, lose their prominence, their pride is damaged and could be looking to create division on the way out. So Paul is telling Titus, don't let that happen now. Don't let that happen. Protect the church so church discipline is not only for restoration, it's for, number two, protection of the church. Paul says this, that in 1 Corinthians 5, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Question mark. He also says in 1 Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. In 2 Timothy 2.17, he says their word will spread like gangrene. So why is there two horns? I, I believe Paul is telling Titus, you got to act swiftly. you you, you got to give them a chance. Talk to them once. Talk to them twice. If they're still stubborn, you need to protect the church now. 
You need to protect the family. And as fathers of our homes, you understand what I'm saying. You may allow certain people to come into the home who may be a little bit not exactly what you're hoping your friends, your, your children should be hanging out with. Yet, if you start seeing a bad influence, you say, hey, son, son daughter, you, you can't do this anymore. We, we understand this as parents. And as I stepped into this role, I think it required me to live out life here for five, six, seven years or six years to understand what Paul's exactly saying, just to protect the church. So these are the factious men we're called to avoid. Now, who are we to affirm? Verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I decide to spend the winter there. Paul's basically saying, when I send either of these two men, hand the keys of the church over to them, hand the bride of Christ to them, and leave and come to me and visit me in Nicopolis. That's a lot of trust. Paul's not saying avoid them. Paul's saying receive them, affirm them. I know these men. Who's Artemis? I don't know. There's not much written about Artemis. But I'm sure he's similar to the caliber of Tychicus where there's much written about him. I believe Artemis and Tychicus are like Paul's special forces. When there was a special task, he sent one of these guys. Acts 20, verse 4, uh, said that Tychicus accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. They said that Tychicus carried letters to Ephesus and Colossae, the word of God, the Ephesian letter, and the Colossian letter. Tychicus goes, here you go, church elders. Read this to the church. In 2 Timothy 4.12, later on after Titus, Paul sent Tychicus to relieve Timothy of his role in the Ephesian church to come see him in prison. I mean, so who are these men? These are known and trusted, battle-tested men that Paul absolutely trusted. Therefore, Titus, trust these men. And I'm so encouraged to see many Tychicuses of Evergreen Baptist Church. That, that was a challenge for me to say that. That was a risk because I'm not quite, that's about 50-50 how that word comes out especially with the ES at the end. But, but there are many of these type of men, Artemises at Evergreen Baptist Church. I'm encouraged. And, I'm, and I want to read to you what is Paul looking for? 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. If you want to write that down, read later. I'm going to read this for you. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. These are battle-tested men. First of all, they're resilient. The Bible says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. These are resilient men who know how to handle uh, opposition, who know how to deal with suffering, who know the rigors of ministry life. And like I've shared before, this type of role is not for the faint-hearted. This takes a level of spiritual grit and spiritual maturity to withstand this sort of a role. And I see a lot of men like that, gratefully entering into difficult uh, conversations, difficult situations. That's encouraging. Let's look at number two at a Second Timothy chapter two. They're loyal to Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Jesus Christ is our commander and general. These men want to please Jesus Christ. Loyalty is not to man. Of course, we care about man. Our loyalty is to Christ Jesus. These men understand what true Christian loyalty is. I, I've talked to these, about these things to our, our own pastors. We went through 2 Timothy 2 here. 
Not only are resilient, not only are they loyal to Christ, they have integrity. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. God sets the rules. These men need to have integrity. We need to ha- have integrity as leaders. And fourthly, diligent, the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Hard-working farmer. I mean, many of us can't even relate to what that's like. In first-century farming, before tractors, before trailers, before irrigation, yeah, it was a hard life. These are hard-working men. If, you, if we think we work hard, not quite. So Paul is saying that these uh, elder candidates need to be diligent, hard-working men. So how do we apply this here? I'm almost done with this second point. How do we affirm or avoid certain workers? Well, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not lay hands upon anyone hastily. These men need to be known. Just like Paul knew Artemis and Tychicus, these men must be known. What is their character in their home like? What, is their, what are their marriages like if they're married? What are their relationships with their children like if they have children? We have to observe these things. We have to know these things. What is their character as, their, as a leader? What have they been like? Who has been providing soul care right now to our church? Who understands the rigors of ministry? And just as important, do their wives understand the rigors of ministry? That's just as important. And I will also add, are they a team player? Do they know how to be a team player? Are they a solo elder? Solo elders don't work here. This is a team of elders. They need to have some chemistry as as a teammate. I remember at times, you know, maybe a funny illustration, guys would say, don't worry, I know I didn't practice good or I know I didn't even come to practice, but I'll be ready when it's game time. No, you're not. No, you're not. I've seen that too many times. I ain't buying that line. Don't worry, I'll turn it on when the game matters. No, you're not. No, you're not. And I'd rather go down with someone who's been here, trained, and who's been sweating and, and, and being with the team the whole time. Same thing in ministry. I love this, this illustration because elders should have been practicing this whole time. You don't just turn it on once you get a, a, a title. But let's turn this to missionaries too. And this is important because, you know, um, if you're thinking about becoming a missionary, praise God, what an amazing thing. But I would just say this much. Are you known and trusted at Evergreen Baptist Church? Do people know you as discipling people? You're just constantly discipling people. Do they know you with a unique gift of evangelism? Because missionaries need to evangelize, right? Do people know you as someone who's uniquely gifted to connect with all kinds of different people groups, men, women, young and old, different ethnicities and, 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 and socioeconomic demographics? Are you known that way? Certainly we should keep our friends that are naturally friendly to us, but are we able to do this? Because that's what you're going to have to do abroad. And so you have to be practicing right now. If you're thinking about being a missionary, if you're thinking about becoming an elder, you have to be practicing right now. You have to be doing it right now. All right, let's go to our third and final point. This will be quicker. Um, To be generationally healthy, Evergreen Baptist Church must discern either to affirm or avoid the work. Not the worker, but the work, the actual work. 
verse 13 says this, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. And our Verse 14, and our people, the church, must also learn to lead in good works to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Zenos, not much known about him. Apollos, according to Acts 18, was a powerful, uh, in the scriptures, a powerful preacher. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1. Perhaps he and Zenos delivered the letter, the Titus letter to Titus and to Crete. But Paul is saying, send them on their way. Give them what they need. Support them. This was the day before credit cards and hotels and airplane flights, right? They needed, it was dangerous. They needed housing. They needed even maybe companions, bodyguards to help them get back home. They needed food. They needed clothing. They needed all kinds of things to make it back. So Paul is saying, support these men. Send them back. Now, the church must be able to affirm what is good works. We have to be able to affirm what is good works. Verse 14, lead in good works to meet pressing needs. Every single Christian needs to participate in the Great Commission. And I understand that not everyone's a preacher. I understand that not everyone's in full-time ministry. I understand that not everyone's going to be an overseas missionary. But everyone is called to participate in the Great Commission. This is about funding the gospel works. That means with your time, with your money, with your energy, this is what God is calling us to do. Third John, the third John, out of third John, the letter. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name. They went out for the sake of Christ, receiving nothing from the Gentiles. They should not ask for money from non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We get to participate with the gospel being sent out through our giving, giving our time, but also our money. That's how this works. So how do you affirm or avoid certain works? Because this is important that we do this. This is beyond, I like this person. This is beyond, I've been doing this for many years, or my family's been supporting, or my churches. But this is beyond that. We all have to have our discerning thinking caps on to decide, because we, have, we all have limited resources. We all have limited money. We have limited time. It's a stewardship, how we spend and invest, I would like to say, our time and our money. Let's take, for example, missionaries. What is the most effective way that we've been growing in our conviction as leaders? What type of missionaries would we like to support? I'm going to give you some ideas here. Certainly we're waiting on elders to come to kind of cement these things. You know, right now it's kind of wet cement, but I want to give you an idea ahead of time. We believe, and we still believe, this is, we don't back off of this, that the, the primary context of discipleship happens in the local church. Not the only context, the primary context happens in the local church. Therefore, we need church planters. Can we send people who are going to uh, plant churches? These are elder qualified men who are going to uh, plant churches. Secondly, can we support people who equip indigenous elders, indigenous leaders? This is what we want to do. Thirdly, can we send members of our church to other mem- uh, local churches to be helpful members? 
Maybe you have a skill. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you have a technical skill to help encourage the elders of that local church. Some of the things that we've been talking about that's been concerning to us are things such as the insider movement. At our executive board meeting and our pastors, we've been talking about something called the insider movement. This is where a missionary would go into a pagan or, or non-Christian context. They believe that this person comes to Christ, they confess their faith in Christ, but, they're, but they say, you know what, you can still go to the mosque. You can still uh, practice Ramadan and, and fast. You can still pray five times a day. Just in your heart, you know you're doing it for Jesus. Or you could hang out in the Hindu temples. You're fine. Just in your heart, you know you're, you're doing this for Jesus. These are concerns. that These, these sort of things are being practiced outside the walls of, the, uh, of our churches here and abroad. And why does this happen? I think for, in good intent, evangelistic desires leads to doctrinal compromise. That's what we talked about in our pastor's meeting. And where anthropology and sociology drives these practices of ministry. Where healthy doctrine is put aside and then you have unhealthy practices. The Bible drives the practice as well. So here's just a thought before we end the sermon as a point of application is this. What is bad, something like that is bad, so we want to reject that. But what is good better and best as I've talked about before. A lot of things are good. Some things are better. And what is the best? That's what you want to invest into best, if at all possible. What's most strategic? What's most profitable? And Evergreen Baptist, our budget, we've been in a deficit. We've had a long meeting on Friday with our leaders. We're probably going to be in a deficit at the end of the year unless unless giving surges at an incredible rate in November and December. But I thank the Lord for this because the Lord is discipling the leaders to scrutinize everything. We're talking about missionaries, ministries, personnel. We're scrutinizing everything. How to take care of the property, All that's being scrutinized. So rest assured we're praying and discussing and asking a lot of hard questions to one another. So what can we do as we end this sermon series? I would say this. As we're getting closer to eldership, pray for elder candidates. Pray that God will raise up elder candidates. It's God who appoints. I don't appoint. We recognize God appoints. Number two, Send me your candidates, and I've been already receiving some, thankfully. So thank you for those who participated. These, these are very confidential. I don't, I don't necessarily share these because uh, uh, for, for a variety of reasons, really to protect the names. Number three, fill out the survey if you're able to. This helps me on a personal level, but it helps gain information where we're at as a church. And then fourthly, I'm thinking about starting a ACE class next quarter talking about church leadership so we can talk more about elders and have some kind of a more of a personal, informal dialogue, okay? I just think this has been an incredible thing that the Lord has been taking us through and I'm gonna finish up with verse 15. All who are with me greet you. This is every single Christian greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Here's a source of motivation. In order to have believers continue to grow and to be birthed into the future, the faith needs to be preserved. 
And let's do our part at Evergreen Baptist Church to guard the gospel for generations to come so that this local church is healthy and that we can continue on the faith, passing it down from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the, this Titus series, Lord. On a personal level, thank you that this is such an encouragement to me. It's so clear why elders are absolutely essential for the health of the church. Father, we pray for the future elders of this, of this church. I pray for their marriages. I pray for their own purity of heart. I pray for their purity of doctrine. I pray for humility to be good teammates. Father, will you unify our hearts here at Evergreen Baptist Church to see the same thing? Give us greater discernment, Lord, as we discern teachings, workers, and even works that we're called to participate in. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.